good to be with you again this morning. I'm just going to say good morning. morning. Just want to make sure you're all there this morning because you won't be when I'm done. Okay, never mind. Hey, the title of the message this morning is called Profiling in the Church. You know, we hear a lot about the news these days about various crimes of hate. We just recently went through that in South Carolina where a bunch of folks were murdered. I think about even a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, if you read in the paper, Steve Edgar, who was shot by some constitutionalists. And uh, just the hate for authority, a hate for police officers. There's the gender discrimination things that we have on our plate these days. With the recent Supreme Court decision, those are some things that we have to deal with. And I think about us as evangelicals or people who are born-again Christians, where we live in a culture where it's very judgmental towards us and fairly intolerant towards us because they think we're bigoted and judgmental and intolerant. Or I think of a guy like Tim Tebow, who was criticized for his faith. In the meantime, we have Bruce Jenner, who's given a Courage Award by ESPN. What should our church's response be to all this? Well, I'm going to give you principle number one right up front. The church should be a Christ-like role model that transcends culture. The church should be a Christ-like role model that transcends culture. Before we get into this a little bit more, let's read about a church that James was writing to that was struggling by going back to cultural values rather than biblical values. So we're in James chapter 2, James chapter 2, follow along with me, verses 1 through 12. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, oh, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you've insulted the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the whole name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Keep that thought in mind. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Why did James write this particular letter to the church? What's interesting here is that the church was absolutely 
blowing away all the cultural values of the day because when people came to know Christ after Pentecost, the church began to, to cooperate with one another. Classes cooperated, ethnicities cooperated, and there was this communism in the church and all of those barriers of discrimination were broken down. It was not a matter of rich and poor anymore. In fact, we see historically that in those days, the rich began to serve the poor in the local church. They were waiting on the poor when it came to communion. There was an incredible difference that the church was making in culture at that point in time, saying, we love everybody. We want to embrace all people, all races, all ethnicities, all financial, social stratas. We're here, we're one because Christ loves us and we're going to work together. And what was going on here in the church is that they were falling back into their old ways and they were showing favoritism and being discriminating in the church. So in essence, they were profiling. When somebody rich would walk into the church, they would say, here, why don't you sit up front? You know, you need to have a place of honor. And the poor people, no, you stay in the back. You know, we're, we're not going to honor you this morning. And so this is why James writes this to the church. And this is why the church should be a Christ-like role model that transcends culture. We should be different here at Cornerstone. There should be a difference about us who love Jesus. And so James writes this. So here's the principle number two. The church must always use biblical values to assess behavior and not cultural values. You see, our culture has no absolutes. And so we have a free-for-all in terms of man having his own opinion about all different situations. And they become the ultimate authority rather than God's word and God being the ultimate authority. So the church has got to always assess when it comes to all the different discriminatory issues on the, on the page today. We need to rise above it and make sure that we protect biblical values and work through that filter. Now, in the case of the early church, they were showing partiality to the rich. But what are the ways we can show partiality in our culture today? Now, I'm going to give you seven ways, but there are probably a bazillion more. But these are some of the general ways that we have a tendency to have discrimination. One of them is class discrimination. I mean, what do you think when you walk down the street and you see the homeless people in downtown Prescott around the courthouse? What's your first thought? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it judgmentalism? Is it some sort of bias? Is it, is it a, a, a love? Or what, what kind of attitude do you have when it comes to a class type of discrimination? Secondly, there's racial discrimination. We know that. There's the black-white issue. There's Asians, Hispanics. There's Middle Eastern. There's racial discrimination in our culture today. How do you feel about racial discrimination What's fascinating to me is there was a, a survey done amongst evangelical Christians, and they just most every one of the evangelical Christians would say, no, we don't discriminate. We don't have any prejudice or bias. But in reality, what we say and what we really perform is a whole different, different ballgame. Here's the third one. How about religious discrimination? Let me ask you this. When you get on an airplane and you see somebody wearing a burqa, what do you think about? What's your first thought? When you see a Muslim come your way and they're walking through the airport, what's your first thought? I mean, let's be honest. Then there's your Mormon neighbor. What do you think about them? What about that Jehovah's Witness or that Jewish person or that, quote, mainline conservative or mainline believer, if you will? There's different types of religious discrimination, and all of us kind of bear some of those biases. Here's the fourth one. How about gender discrimination? 
We certainly have the whole LGBT movement that is in our culture today that's just rising and growing rapidly. But I also think about how women can be discriminated, especially in the church. There's gender discrimination. There's political discrimination. Are you a liberal or are you conservative? Do you hate liberals? Are you conservative? You know, there's a political discrimination. There's social discriminations, such as the handicapped, the mentally challenged, perhaps obesity. All those things are issues of discrimination. And then what about age discrimination? So there's all these variables that are out there in our society today where it's easy for us to have preconceived, prejudged kinds of emotions toward those particular issues that cause us to be discriminatory or play favorites, if you will. So where do those prejudices and discriminatory behaviors come from? As I thought about it in my own life, these are some areas where I think we get some of those values. The first one, obviously, is our family of origin. What did you grow up in? What kind of biases and prejudices were in your own family as you were growing up? What did you see out there? What did you not see? Where did you, where did you grow up? Uh, there's these negative and positive life experiences. If you've had a good experience, perhaps, with the black community, but you've had a bad experience, sometimes we have those kinds of discriminatory biases. Then there's the geographical locations that we grew up, whether you grew up in the Deep South or you grew up in the, the uh, New England or whether you grew up in California. Those are geographical places where oftentimes biases and prejudices come because of our geographical location. Their fourth one is based upon, I think, a lot of media, propaganda, and our educational experience. Where did you go to school? What television, what news broadcast do you listen to? you listen to CNN, Fox? Who, what are you listening to? Because all of them have certain biases. And if we only diet on those kinds of things, you find yourself becoming much more discriminatory. Fifth, what about cultural values? You know, I see young, especially younger people today who've been raised in this culture of social media where there's so many values that are being expressed on social media and we're adopting those cultural values rather than biblical values. So cultural values are, play a huge role how our cultures changed back when I grew up in the 50s and 60s to today. I mean, it's amazing the differences. So here's the third principle I want to share with you this morning. We all have prejudicial opinions or biases. Do you believe that this morning? We all do. None of us can sit here and say, I am completely neutral on everything and everybody. That's not fair. It's not realistic. So what we can allow them to do, however, when we do have these, they can be roadblocks to the greatest commandment that God gave us. Because he goes on to say here, guys, look, the issue is love your neighbor as yourself. And if any of those biases or prejudices are roadblocks to having a relationship with somebody through Jesus Christ, that has become an issue in your life and you better deal with it as a sin problem. Because now, according to scripture, you're a lawbreaker. And if you break one, you've broken them all. So the greatest commandment here is love your neighbor as yourself in verses 8 and 9. It says, if you really keep the royal law, find in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Well, one of the questions that came up back during the time where Jesus was talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan, the question was, who is my neighbor? Now, it's interesting, the guy who was neighborly 
the Samaritan, he was the neighbor, according to Scripture. He was the one that was being a good neighbor. Now, the word neighbor comes from the word near, someone who is near. So, and the word love here comes from the word agape, which means to love your neighbor unconditionally. So whoever's near you at the time and place, you're to love them unconditionally, just like Jesus loved us. That's loving your neighbor, but also loving your neighbor, what? As yourself. You see, we want to be able to love people like we want to be loved. Do you want to be loved unconditionally? You know, everybody out there wants to be loved unconditionally. It doesn't matter what color they are, what gender they are, what, what racial background they are. Every one of us want to be loved unconditionally. So how are we going to do this? How do we do this effectively? How are we going to somehow back down from some of our prejudices and biases and be able to somehow cope with all the discrimination that's going on in our culture today? Well, let me give you some principles for that as well. So principle number four is this. We must always maintain biblical integrity. We must always maintain biblical integrity. We should never compromise scripture where it's totally clear. And that's what's happening among a lot of Christians today. We become cultural Christians that are interpreting scripture through the eyes of culture rather than through the eyes of our Lord. So it's critical that we should never compromise Scripture. Number one, God makes it very clear. God shows no partiality, period. And in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, it says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. So we know crystal clear that God is saying to us that he holds no partiality. Now, what is God clear about? Well, some of the things we know that God's clear about is what constitutes a biblical marriage. We know the scripture tells us that it's a, a, a covenant between a man and a woman. That's how God has made it very, very clear. That's what constitutes a biblical marriage. That's clarity. There's very, very clear in scripture. Uh, God is clear about taking the life of an unborn baby. That's very clear in scripture. God is clear about extramarital sex, whether it be homosexual or heterosexual. It's very, very clear in Scripture, and yet we cloud it with the culture, and we take it through the filter of culture, and we somehow compromise those things where God has made it crystal clear. Now, there's some things in Scripture that's not totally clear, but on the areas of where God is very black and white, we need to make sure that we filter our biases and discrimination through that filter. When God makes it clear... So we must always start with biblical integrity. What does the Bible say about race? What does the Bible say about class discrimination? What does the Bible say about marital relationships? What does God say about premarital sex? What does God say about homosexuality? We need to see what God says first, and it starts there. Now, if we stop there, we're in trouble. What do I mean by that? Well, principle number five First, we got to start with the idea that we have biblical integrity. We must reason then that we will, we all live in a fallen world. Folks, there are always mitigating issues that are behind the scenes that we don't often understand about people. 
There's always perhaps an underlying emotional or cultural or spiritual issue that we don't fully comprehend or appreciate about the people that we connect with. My point is this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We live in a fallen world. And whether they're a homeless person or a gay person or whether they're an ethnic person, a Muslim or a Mormon, it doesn't matter. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Scripture tells us. See, we judge often by what? The outer appearance. Who does God, how does God judge us? By the heart, by the heart. See, we live in a fallen world. You know, my perspective of gay people changed a number of years ago where there was a man who worked at the property management bureau for the Phoenix Police Department And he was a man who received a kidney transplant, and that kidney transplant went bad, and he was dying. And he and his partner, living in a home down in Mesa, uh, the sergeant who was over him at the property management bureau was a believer. And I kept telling Greg, Greg, why why don't you go over and see him and talk to him about the Lord? And Greg would kind of hold back and say, well, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. I mean, I it's going over to a gay couple's house and I said, you know what, let's, let's, let's do it. And we went over and we saw this man and we saw his partner and they were really, really down and, and hurting because uh, he was dying and, and we prayed with him and we led him to Jesus. In fact, when he died and took his last breath, he was actually listening to the song I can only imagine on the radio. And I remember 60 or 70 gay people coming to the memorial service that they asked me to do. And it was such a joy to be able to love on those folks. And they came to us and they said, you know, we so appreciate, we just can't believe that your church would reach out to us like this and be this uh, hospitable and this generous to us. And they were so blessed by it. And it kind of changed my attitude to realize that we need to look at people's hearts, not about the outside, the externals. Amen? There's a sixth principle here. We need to recognize that God has created everybody uniquely different. Do we get that? Aren't you glad everybody's not like us? Wouldn't it be an awful world if we were all a bunch of clones of each other? The point is is that everybody's uniquely different. God created this myriad of all different kinds of humanity out there. In all different backgrounds, and all different issues, and all different emotions, and everybody's different. Let's just take it for a minute and say, look, they don't have to be like us, right? They don't have to, to do things like us. They don't have to have the same interests. They don't have to same, have the same hobbies. They don't have to have the same social status. People are uniquely different, and sometimes we forget that. Don't you want to be treated as unique? Recognize that God has created everybody uniquely different. Now, here's number seven. Our job on this planet is to foster redemptive relationships. Our job is to foster redemptive relationships. You see, every relationship on the planet should start with biblical integrity, right? Secondly, we must all realize that everybody has fallen. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody's got a heart problem. Thirdly, that everybody is totally unique and totally different. But 
What is our role in all of that? We're to foster redemptive relationships. Frankly, friends, I believe that if the church was busy fostering redemptive relationships, we wouldn't have as much discrimination in our culture. If you and I took some steps to really love on people unconditionally and love our neighbor as ourselves, we would see a change in our culture. But instead, we hunker down in the church and, and, and we become discriminatory and we become prejudiced and biases and we, we kind of find our own little clique and our own little safe places to hunker down in when there's people dying out there without Jesus because we're not loving them. Sorry, I got a little passionate. What are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to do what Jesus did. In Philippians chapter 2, he said, He did not regard equality a thing to be grasped, but he took on the form of what? A bondservant. He humbled himself. He identified with us. Us, our unique, lost, heartbroken people, he came down to identify with us as rotten and as sinful as we were. He took the time to come down from heaven to be a part of this humanity in order to love us into the kingdom. We're supposed to model the same thing. We're supposed to be little Jesuses, Christians, little Christ, who are modeling the same kind of relationships that Jesus did when he came on this planet. That means we've got to make some necessary sacrifices to show that love to our neighbors. Now, what's fascinating is there's a, a great line that we use as evangelicals that kind of I just recently just felt like, you know what, it really is grating on me. It says we're supposed to hate the sin and love the sinner, right? You heard that statement? We say that a lot. You know what's happened, I think, with evangelicals today is that we hate the sin so much, we've marginalized the sinner. You know what I'm saying? We get so bent out of shape about the kind of stuff that's going on in our culture today that we marginalize them and we kind of separate ourselves from them when in reality we need to jump into that particular life and realize that we need to just simply what? Love the sinner. We just need to love the sinner. I think the reason why evangelicals in our culture today have been so maligned and so given such intolerance is because we've so been busy hating the sin but not loving the sinner. Do you agree with that? I hope so. Why? Because Scripture tells us that love covers a multitude of sin, doesn't it? And what's really fascinating here. What James says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture in verse 8, love your neighbors as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whosoever keeps what? The whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So who do we think we are when it comes to being judgmental and prejudiced and biased and discriminatory? I saw this clip of this movie and it just brought home to me what it is to really love your neighbor as yourself. Take a look. You men enlisted in this regiment on the understanding that you would be paid the regular army wage of $13 a month. This morning I have been notified 
that since you are a colored regiment, you will be paid $10 a month. Regiment fall out by company to receive pay. Where you going, boy? To get paid $10, a lot of money. Hey, Pop, you finna lay down for this, too? Where, where's your pride now? Make your mark right here. Huh? Look, look, hey. I can write my name. Go for this? Then do it. They're gonna get them $13. They're gonna give us for 10. You're gonna go for that? Huh? I mean, a color soldier stop a bullet just as good as a white one. And for less money, too. Yeah. Yeah, old Uncle A got himself a real bargain here. Hey, what you say, Buck? That's right. Slaves. Uh-huh. Step right up, make your mark. Get your right. slave with you. Yeah, boy. Right. All you good color boys, hey. go ahead and sign up. That's right. Tear it up. Tear it up. will take no pay, then none of us will. Aren't we about tearing it up? If you could walk out of here this morning, that's the cry that I think all of us should walk away from here is that as believers, we need to be tearing it up. Amen? We need to be tearing it up. So let me ask you some things this morning. Are you willing to identify the areas of discrimination in your own life? What are, what are those areas where you struggled with over your lifetime based upon your upbringing, your, your life experience and cultural values and put all that together? What are you struggling with? I know I had to look at my own life and see some things that I struggle with and I know I've got some biases and prejudices like everybody else and, and I have to confess, I have to rein that in all the time in my life. But what steps are you going to take in order to overcome those areas? Maybe you need to be intentional about crossing over those boundaries that you set based upon those biases and you need to start reaching out to that person or to that individual or to that situation rather than holding back and hunkering down. Secondly, who is your neighbor and and how do you want to foster a redemptive relationship with them? Folks, we've been put on this planet to be ambassadors, amen? Amen. Remember when Pastor John spoke about that? We're here to be ambassadors. What are those, who are those people that oftentimes maybe we set our boundaries from that God wants us to jump into and foster a redemptive relationship? That's what we're supposed to be about. But thirdly, and I think really important, 
is that are we careful to maintain biblical integrity in our life or has the culture watered down your belief system? Are you allowing culture to dictate what you believe? Are you allowing the scriptures to dictate what you believe? We have a ton of cultural Christians out there right now that really is scary to me. We need to have a biblical worldview and we need to maintain integrity in terms of our biblical perspective. Let's stop compromising what scripture is telling us that's very clear. So this is a a hard-hitting kind of message this morning. But I pray that, again, that you've been challenged this morning just like James was challenging the church and saying, folks, let's just love our neighbor as ourselves." Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder in James chapter 2 of how the church got a little bit sideways when it came to being discriminatory. God, forgive us for allowing ourselves to be a roadblock, our beliefs, our biases, and our prejudices to the very reason why you want us here on this planet, and that is to bring Jesus to those who are lost, no matter who they are, where they are, what they've done. God, you did that for us. We've been singing about your amazing grace all morning. God, I pray that we would be just grace dispensers. So I pray that we just tear it up as we leave here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.